Chapter Eight of Wet Magic by E. Nesbit. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight, The Water War. After the sound of that terrible shouting, there came silence. That is, there was silence where the children were, but all above they could hear the rush and rustle of a quick arming. The war cry of the people of the depths, said the princess. I suppose, said Kathleen forlornly, that if they're so near as that, all is lost. Lost? No, indeed, cried the princess. The people of the depths are very strong, but they are very heavy. They cannot rise up and come to us from the water above. Before they can get in, they must scale the wall. But they will get over the wall, won't they? Not while one of the royal halibuts still lives. The halibuts have manned the wall. They will keep back the foe. But they won't attack yet. They'll send out their scouts and skirmishers. Till they approach, the crustacean brigade can do nothing. It is a hard thing to watch a fight in which you may not share. I must apologize for appointing you to such an unsatisfactory position. Thank you. We don't mind, said Cathy hastily. What's that? It was a solid, gleaming sheet of silver that rose above them like a great carpet, which split and tore itself into silvery threads. It is the Swordfish Brigade, said the princess. We could swim up a little and watch them, if you're not afraid. You see... The first attack will probably be delivered by one of their shark regiments. The seventh sharks have a horrible reputation. But our brave swordfish are a match for them, she added proudly. The swordfish, who were slowly swimming to and fro above, seemed to stiffen as though to meet some danger at present unseen by the others. Then, with a swift, silent, terrible movement, the sharks rushed on the noble defenders of Merland. The swordfish with their deadly weapons were ready, and the next moment all the water was a wild whirl of confused conflict. The sharks fought with a sort of harsh, rough courage, and the children, who had drawn away to a little distance, could not help admiring their desperate onslaught. But the swordfish were more than their match. With more skill and an equally desperate gallantry, they met and repulsed the savage onslaught of the sharks. Shoals of large, calm cod swept up from the depths and began to shoulder the dead sharks sideways toward the water above the walls. The dead sharks, and alas, many a brave dead swordfish too, for the victory had not been a cheap one. The children could not help cheering as the victorious swordfish reformed. Pursuit is unnecessary, said the princess. The sharks have lost too heavily to resume the attack. A shark in terror-stricken retreat passed close by her, and she clipped its tail with her oyster shell. The shark turned savagely, but the princess, with one tail swish, was out of danger, pushing the children before her outspread arms and the shark began to sink, still making vain efforts to pursue them. 
the shell will drag him down said the princess and now i must go and get a fresh shield i wish i knew where the next attack would be delivered they sank slowly through the water i wonder where reuben is said bernard oh he's quite safe said the princess the boy scouts don't go outside the walls they just do a good turn for anybody who wants it you know and help the kind souls to look after the wounded they had reached the great flooded garden again and turned toward the palace and as they went a sea urchin shell suddenly rose from behind one of the clipped hedges a sea urchin shell and behind it a long tail the shell was raised and the face under it was rubens hi princess he shouted i've been looking for you everywhere we've been scouting i got a lot of seaweed and they thought i was nothing but seaweed and so i got quite close to the enemy it was very rash said the princess severely the others don't think so he said a little hurt they began by saying i was only an irregular sea urchin because i've got this jolly tail he gave it a merry wag and they called me spatangus and names like that but they've made me their general now general echinus i'm a regular now and no mistake and what i was going to say is the enemy is going to attack the north tower in force in half an hour you good boy said the princess i do believe if it hadn't been for his sea urchin's uniform she would have kissed him you're splendid you're a hero if you could do it safely there's heaps of seaweed could you find out if there's any danger from the book people you know the ones in the cave it's always been our fear that they might attack too and if they did well i'd rather be the slave of a shark than of mrs fairchild she gathered an armful of seaweed from the nearest tree and reuben wrapped himself in it and drifted off looking less like a live boy scout than you could believe possible the defenders of merland now acting on reuben's information began to mass themselves near the north wall now is our time said the princess we must go along the tunnel and when we hear the sound of their heavy feet shaking the flow of ocean we must make sallies and fix our shell shields in their feet major rally your men a tall merchild in the crustacean uniform blew a clear note and the soldiers of the crustacean brigade who having nothing particular to do had been helping anyone and everyone as best they could which is the way in merland though not in europe gathered about their officers when they were all drawn up before her the princess addressed her troops my men she said we have been suddenly plunged into war but it has not found us unprepared i am proud to think that my regiments are ready to the last pearl button and i know that every man among you will be as proud as i am that our post is as tradition tells us it has always been the post of danger we shall now go out into the depths of the sea to fight the enemies of our dear country and to lay down our lives if need be for that country's sake 
the soldiers answered by cheers and the princess led the way to one of those little buildings like temples of flora in old pictures which the children had noticed in the gardens at the order given a sergeant raised a great stone by a golden ring embedded in it and disclosed a dark passage leading underground a splendid captain of cockles six feet high if he was an inch with a sergeant and six men led the way three oyster officers followed then a company of oysters the advance guard at the head of the main body following were the princess and her staff as they went the princess explained why the tunnel was so long and sloped so steeply you see she said the inside of our wall is only about ten feet high but it goes down on the other side for forty feet or more it is built on a hill now i don't want you to feel obliged to come out and fight you can stay inside and get the shields ready for us to take we shall keep on rushing back for fresh weapons of course the tunnel's much too narrow for the underfolk to get in but they have their regiment of highly trained sea serpents who of course can make themselves thin and worm through anything kathy doesn't like serpents said mavis anxiously you needn't be afraid said the princess they're dreadful cowards they know the passage is guarded by our lobsters they won't come within a mile of the entrance but the main body of the enemy will have to pass quite close there's a great sea mountain and the only way to our north tower is in the narrow ravine between that mountain and merland the tunnel ended in a large rocky hall with the armory hung with ten thousand gleaming shields on the one side and the guard-room crowded with enthusiastic lobsters on the other the entrance from the sea was a short narrow passage in which stood two lobsters in their beautiful dark coats of mail since the moment when the blue sky that looked first so like sky and then so like painted tin had touched confessed itself to be a bubble confessed to in the most practical way by bursting and letting the water into merland the children had been carried along by the breathless rush of preparations for the invasion and the world they were now in had rapidly increased in reality while their own world in which till today they had always lived had been losing reality at exactly the same rate as that by which the new world gained it so it was that when the princess said you needn't go out and attack the enemy unless you like they all answered in some astonishment but we want to that's all right said the princess i only wanted to see if they were in working order if what were your coats their coats of valor of course i think i could be brave without a coat said bernard and began to undo his pearl buttons of course you could said the princess in fact you must be brave to begin with or the coat couldn't work it would be no good to be a coward it just keeps your natural valor warm and your wits cool it makes you braver said kathleen suddenly at least i hope it's me but i expect it's the coat anyhow i'm glad it does because i do want to be brave oh princess well said the princess gravely but not unkindly what is it 
Kathleen stood a moment, her hands twisting in each other and her eyes downcast. Then, in an instant, she had unbuttoned and pulled off her coat of pearly mail and thrown it at the princess's feet. "'I'll do it without the coat,' she said, and drew a long breath. The others looked on in silence, longing to help her, but knowing that no one could help her now but herself. "'It was me!' said Kathleen, suddenly, and let go a deep breath of relief. <sighs> it was me that touched the sky and let in the water, and I am most frightfully sorry, and I know you'll never forgive me, but—quick, said the princess, picking up the coat, get into your armor. It'll prevent your crying. She hustled Kathleen into the coat and kept her arms around her. Brave girl, she whispered. I'm glad you did it without the coat. The other three thought it polite to turn away. Of course, the princess added, I knew, but you didn't know I knew. How did you know? said Kathleen. By your eyes, said the princess, with one last hug. They're quite different now. Come, let us go to the gate and see if any of our scouts are signaling. The two lobster sentries presented claws as the princess passed with her staff through the narrow arch and on to the sandy plain of the sea-bottom. The children were astonished to find that they could see quite plain a long way through the water, as far as they could have seen in air, and the view was very like one kind of land view. First the smooth, flat sand, dotted with copses of branching seaweed, then woods of taller tree-like weeds, with rocks shelving up and up to a tall, rocky mountain. The mountain sent out a spur, then ran alongside the Mer Kingdom and joined the rock behind it. And it was along the narrow gorge so formed that the underfolk were expected to advance. There were balls of seaweed floating in the air, at least it really now had grown to seem like air, though of course it was water, but no signs of scouts. Suddenly the balls of seaweed drew together, and the princess murmured, I thought so, as they formed into orderly lines, sank to the ground and remained motionless for a moment, while one ball of seaweed stood in front of them. It's the Boy Scouts, she said. Your Reuben is giving them their orders. It seemed that she was right. For the next moment the balls of seaweed drifted away in different directions, and the one who had stood before them drifted straight to the arch where the princess and the children stood. It drifted in, pulled off its seaweed disguise, and was, in effect, Reuben. "'We found out something more, your highness,' he said, saluting the princess. "'The vanguard are to be seahorses, you know, not the little ones, but the great things they have in the depths.' "'No use our attacking the horses,' said the princess. "'They're as hard as ice.' Who rides them? The first dipsis, said Reuben. They're the young underfolk who want to cut a dash. They call them the forlorn hopers, of course. Have they got armor? No, that's their swank. They've no armor but their natural scales. Those look thick enough, though. I say, princess, I suppose we sea urchins are free to do exactly as we choose? 
Yes, said the princess, unless orders are given. Well, then, my idea is that the lobsters are the fellows to tackle the seahorses. Hold on to their tails, see? They can't hurt the lobsters because they can't get at their own tails. But when the lobsters let go, said the princess, the lobsters wouldn't let go till they had driven back the enemy, said the lobster captain, saluting. Your Highness, may I ask if you propose to take this urchin's advice? Isn't it good? she asked. Yes, Your Highness, the lobster captain answered, but it's impertinent. I am the best judge of that, said the princess gently. Remember that these are noble volunteers who are fighting for us of their own free will. The lobster saluted and was silent. I cannot send the lobsters, said the princess. We need them to protect the gate. But the crabs— Ah, Highness, let us go, pleaded the lobster captain. The crabs cannot keep the gate, said the princess kindly. You know they are not narrow enough. Francis, will you be my aide-de-camp and take a message to the queen? May I go too? asked Mavis. Yes, but we must deliver a double assault. If the crabs attack the horses, who will deal with the riders? I have an idea about that too said reuben if we could have some good heavy shoving regiment and something sharp to finish them off the swordfish perhaps you are a born general the princess said but you don't quite know our resources the united narwhals can do the shoving as you call it and their horns are sharp and heavy now she took a smooth white chalk stone from the seafloor and a ready lobster brought her a sharpened haddock bone. She wrote quickly, scratching the letters deep on the chalk. Here, she said, take this to the queen. You will find her at headquarters at the palace yard. Tell her everything. I have only asked for the two regiments. You must explain the rest. I don't suppose there will be any difficulty in getting through our lines, but if there should be the password is glory and the countersign is our death and hurry 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 for your lives never before had mavis and francis felt anything like the glow of excitement and importance which warmed them as they went up the long tunnel to take the message to the queen but where is the palace mavis said and they stopped looking at each other i'll show you please said a little voice behind them they turned quickly to find a small spruce gentlemanly mackerel at their heels i'm one of the guides it said i felt sure you'd need me this way sir please and it led the way across the gardens in and out of the clumps of trees and between the seaweed hedges till they came to the palace rows and rows of soldiers surrounded it all waiting patiently for the word of command that would send them to meet the enemies of their country glory said the gentlemanly mackerel as he passed the outposts or death replied the sentinel seabream the queen was in the courtyard in which the children had received their ovation so short a time ago and yet how long it seemed then the courtyard had been a scene of the calm and charming gaiety of a nation at peace 
now it was full of the ardent intense inactivity of waiting warriors the queen in her gleaming coral armor met them as the password opened a way to her through the close-packed ranks of the soldiers she took the stone and read it and with true royal kindness she found time even at such a moment for a word of thanks to the messengers see the narwhals start she added and then back to your posts with all speed tell your commanding officer that so far the book people have made no sign but the golden gate is strongly defended by the king's own cod and i didn't know there was a king said francis the queen looked stern and the mackerel guide jerked francis's magic coat-tail warningly and whispered hush the king said the queen quietly is no more he was lost at sea when the splendid steady column of narwhals had marched off to its appointed place the children bowed to the queen and went back to their posts i'm sorry i said anything said francis to the mackerel but i didn't know besides how can a mer-king be lost at sea aren't your kings lost on land asked the mackerel or if not kings men quite as good what about explorers i see said mavis and doesn't anyone know what has become of him no said the mackerel he has been lost for a very long time we fear the worst if he were alive he would have come back we think the underfolk have him they bewitch prisoners so that they forget who they are of course there's the antidote every uniform is made with a little antidote pocket just over the heart he put his fin inside his scales and produced a little golden case just like a skate's egg you've got them too of course he added if you are taken prisoner swallow the contents at once but if you forget who you are said francis don't you forget the antidote no charm the mackerel assured him is strong enough to make one forget one's counter charm and now they were back at the lobster guarded gate the princess ran to meet them what a time you've been she said is all well have the narwhals taken up their position satisfied on this point she led the children up a way long and steep to a window in the wall whence they could look down on the ravine and see the advance of the foe the narwhals were halted about halfway up the ravine where it widened to a sort of amphitheater here among the rocks they lay in ambush waiting for the advance of the foe if it hadn't been for you reuben said the princess as they leaned their elbows on the broad rocky ledge of the window they might easily have stormed the north tower we should not have been ready all our strongest defenses were massed on the south side it was there they attacked last time so the history books tell us and now a heavy thundering sound faint yet terrible announced the approach of the enemy and far away across the sea-plain something could be seen moving a ball of seaweed seemed to drift up the ravine a sea urchin gone to give the alarm said the princess what splendid things boy scouts are we didn't have them in the last war 
my dear father only invented them just before she paused and sighed look she said the enemy's heavy cavalry were moving in a solid mass toward merland the great seahorses twenty feet long and their great riders who must have been eight or ten feet high came more and more quickly heading to the ravine the riders were the most terrible beings the children had ever seen clothed from head to feet in closely fitting scales with large heads large ears large mouths and blunt noses and large blind-looking eyes they sat each erect on his armored steed the long harpoons swaying lightly in their enormous hands the seahorses quickened their pace and a noise like a hoarse trumpet rang out they are sounding the charge said the princess and as she spoke the underfolk charged at the ravine in a determined furious onrush oh no one can stand against that they can't said kathy in despair from the window they could see right down on to the amphitheatre where the narwhals were concealed on came the sea cavalry so far unresisted but as they neared the ambush bunches of seaweed drifted in the faces of the riders they floundered and strove to push away the clinging stuff and as they strove the narwhals made their sortie drove their weight against the riders and hurled them from their horses and from the covers of the rocks the crabs advanced with an incredible speed and caught the tails of the seahorses in their inexorable claws the riders lay on the ground the horses were rearing and prancing with fear and pain as the clouds of seaweed each with a prickly sea urchin in it flung themselves against their faces the riders stood up fighting to the last but the harpoons were no match for the narwhal's horns come away said the princess already the seahorses urged by the enormous crabs were retreating in the wildest disorder pursued by narwhals and harassed by sea urchins the princess and the children went back to the lobster sentries repulsed said the princess with heavy loss and the lobsters cheered how's that princess said a ball of seaweed uncurling itself at the gate and presenting the familiar features of reuben how is it she said it is victory and we owe it to you ah but you're wounded only a scratch said reuben harpoon just missed me oh reuben you are a hero said kathy get along you silly he answered gracefully end of chapter 8